Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America Podcast. I'm John Manuel. Thanks, Dave Slade, for the intro. I'm joined by Jim Shutter, Michael Anna, Ted Cahill, the uh, college crew. Going to wrap up this weekend in college baseball and look ahead to the next week, guys. And you know, we had, uh, we kind of knew coming into the year, looking at the schedule, that we would kind of focus on our number two preseason team, Louisville, more as the season drew to a close than early. We're located in North Carolina. Obviously, I think everyone knows that who follows us. But we kind of knew that we would get to see a lot of Louisville late in the year because of their schedule and focus on them a little bit more. And May has finally come to pass. So we're going to start off talking a little bit about the Atlantic Coast Conference if you want to Question, uh, ask us questions for any future podcasts. Of course, you can email us at podcast at baseballamerica.com or tweet at all of us. He's at Ted Cahill. I'm at John Manuel BA, at Jim Schoener BA, at M. Lanana. Rhymes with banana, but isn't spelled like that. It's a little different. Um, you can search Savannah <laughs> Bananas on Twitter, though, and you'll find him. Um, but, guys, uh, to our first look in person at the Cardinals this year, this, uh, this came this weekend. They're number two in the RPI. Right behind Florida, the, in fact, the preseason poll looks a lot like the top of the RPI. Um, what was y'all's impressions of Louisville this weekend? Uh, the only two games I saw were the two that Louisville won. Um, Teddy, you wrote a little bit about them and off the bat. What was your first impression of Louisville? Did they live up to expectations this weekend? A little bit better than you thought? A little bit lesser? Where they where they fit on the spectrum for you? Well, I've had trouble with figuring Louisville out all year because, as um, I have noted for all season they hadn't won a road series before this weekend and it was hard to really you know put your figure on why they were struggling a little bit on the road obviously the teams they played were, were a big part of it Mississippi Miami Florida State and then Boston College but those first three um, are all top 15 teams right now um, so I don't I just haven't had a really good feel for Louisville and I still don't um, they're a really good team. It's talented. The lineup is deep, one through nine. The rotation has really strong pitchers. Zach Birdie at the back end is one of the best closers in college baseball. I think he's the best. I think he's got to be number one. I know there are other guys with better numbers, but he's got to be the best combination of stuff and experience in the country, doesn't he? I don't know. There are really good closers out there. This is a really good closer year. I mean, you got like guys at Washington, like Troy Rollins with uh, Troy Rollins is like having the best year of any yeah. pitcher in the country. There's yeah. no doubt. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's a uh, there's a philosophical debate there certainly with your college closer who is not a pro prospect versus Zach Birdie who can throw 102. Who would you rather face if you were a coach? Who would you rather have your team face? Well, I think that's different than you know who you would like if you're. I would. As a hitter, I would think you would not want to face the guy throwing 102. You would rather face the guy who's out there trying to carve you up, like Josh Reagan or, or Rollins. But as a coach, maybe you would prefer that guy. I mean, I don't know. David Berg is a completely different animal because he's a side armor. Right. But I imagine there were hitters that would rather face David Berg than the guy throwing 102. And yet David Berg was was what he was. He was. I still, I still think you'd rather face Rawlings than Birdie. For me, yeah. but you know, I, I agree. You would probably rather face them, but I wonder if what, what a coach would prefer to have. Rollins has had an incredible year, though. I mean, he's leading the country in everything. So that's yeah. a good one to get to. But the, it, there's the strengths of Louisville's team are they still feel like the whole is less than the sum of the parts to me. Right, and they like I asked Corey Ray about. You know, I was talking to Corey Ray post game, and he said he doesn't think they've peaked yet. Um, they've won seven of their last eight now. Um, they're, I mean, they're playing really well. It seems like, but. It doesn't feel like they've peaked yet. They don't think they've peaked yet. Um, so if they do ever hit on all cylinders, and it's entirely possible that they don't. I mean, that does happen. Teams don't hit right. their ceilings. Um, they don't always peak. Right. So if they do, it's a really, really good team. As it is, it's a dangerous team, and it's certainly a team that, that's capable capable of winning a lot of games like they've done. And um, you know, if they, if they are able to find that next level... Um, you know, they're, they're certainly right there, you know, like we thought they would be at, at the start of the year when they were the number two team on talent. Mike, what, you, what, was, your, what was your thought on, on this team? It feels like, especially now, that if they're ever going to peak, it's going to be in the next couple of weeks because they've got Nick Solak back. 
and it feels like Kyle Funkhauser still is not dominant, but he is closer to he's pitching better now than he was a month month and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think I mean any real criticism we have of Louisville, I think, are kind of nitpicky if you look at their overall resume. I mean, they're thirty eight and ten. Yeah. Obviously, they've they've struggled on the road this year before this weekend, having not won a road series. But overall, I think you take their resume, you know, put it up against anyone else for the most part. Um, their, their series losses that had been on the road this year had been to teams that we have ranked number uh, four this week, number seven this week. And number six this week, and then Boston College. I mean, but so. the fact is, they do have four series losses. I I disagree. I do not think their resume is that strong. It's good. With what is great about Louisville is the talent. I think when you put their talent against anybody in the country, maybe outside of Florida, but I I mean, the, they've lost four series. They have, but they so. have. The, the, but three of those are losses. Series losses that are here or there. Like they, and again, like if they're they haven't peaked yet. But if you're gonna lose to somebody. Lose to good teams. I'd rather see them beat good teams, and that's the one thing they really haven't proved they can do yet. But I, I do wonder how many teams would have fewer than three series losses when you had to go to Ole Miss, to Miami, and to Florida State. Those are three very difficult destinations to win series at. It was no a very, it was a very ambitious schedule. Uh, thanks to the ACC schedule makers, the right. the only one they controlled there was Mississippi, and um, you know credit to them to going down. But yeah, I, mean, when, I can't imagine what Dan McDonald thought when he got that that schedule from the ACC. Right, but but, but Mike, back but, to your, yeah. your impressions of them. I mean, I, it feels like the guys who were supposed to be their stars, McKay, Ray, Funkhauser, I feel like those guys are playing better and. I, to me, just getting Solak back makes them a much more dangerous team. Yeah, although they played fine. I mean, having Devin Mann at second base, a, a freshman, I mean, he hit well and, and did a good job. He's someone that they believe in, could be a guy for them, right. you know, next year and beyond. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, looking at them, I, I think it, as far as teams I've seen in person this year, I'm not sure I've seen a, a better team just in terms of, of talent and depth and what they have. I mean, it's a lineup from top to bottom that can, can beat you with, with power and speed. Um, you know, they, they run wild. You know, obviously Corey Ray this weekend, he, he was hitting everything. I mean, every time he came up, it seemed like, you know, he was, he was a lock to, to get a base hit there in that situation. Well, he was definitely he was very a, aggressive. He was swinging a yeah, lot this he weekend. Was, he was swinging a lot. And, uh, yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, Funkhauser, you know, he looked good on, on, on Sunday. You know, is, it's, is it the best I've ever seen him? No, but he, he still looked good. He was up to, you know, 95, 96 in the third and fourth inning. He was rearing back a little but bit. But one of those two pitches, those were my two times he threw 95 or 96. He vexed me. I'll tell you, this, this weekend, <laughs> he was really interesting to uh, get to do the weekend series with uh, Paul Shuey in the booth at, at Chapel Hill. It was fascinating because – Chewy pitched 95-96, and he hit 100. So when you have someone who did it and who's really into it uh, analyzing the pitchers, and he's sitting there talking about Zach Birdie and, and Kyle Funkhauser doing it, I tell you, Zach Birdie blew every, all of us away Friday. He was outstanding. He was so good. That was a nasty look at Birdie. That's, it's hard to imagine him being better than he was Friday. For two innings, I know the scouts I talked to after the game who, who were there were very impressed by what they saw. I was less impressed, honestly, with Funkhauser Sunday. How do you sit? His range of his fastball, first of all, was between 87 yeah. and 96 miles an hour. Well, he, uh, you that know. Was strange. It's funny because I, I was talking to him about that after the game, and he was talking about uh, a fastball that he threw. He saw at 86 on the scoreboard that he threw just to get it over. And after he threw that, Dan McDonald actually screamed at him from the dugout about that pitch and like, what is he doing yeah from that point on that's when we saw the 95 and 96 from him because he's like okay i gotta you know uh, amp it up a little bit how but, does he not know that he's 22 yeah he's I mean, not a kid anymore the, the, he can he can fight in the army yeah i mean the thing with <laughs> he him can drink yeah i mean the thing with him is he's still trying to tinker with his arsenal and figure it out i mean he told me his last few starts he hasn't been throwing a slider um and that's been his pitch the last three years his that main was a, secondary offering that was a good pitch for him Sunday well now, it was inconsistent he hung a few but he also dotted a few at 81 on the black I mean well, well that was his curveball actually that that's, that was his curve at 81 yeah because he um because he was talking about his slider and curve are actually morphing a little bit together and so he's decided just to step back from the slider a little bit try to change the grip a little bit and focus more on the curveball hmm. and so the curve was you know 77 to 81 or so uh, on Sunday. Uh, sometimes it was a little bit slower, but 
Um, he's he tried throwing a couple sliders more I think in the the mid 80s and um, but for the most part he's kind of taken a step back from that pitch and tried to simplify things a little bit just because he couldn't get a good feel for it with the curveball. He probably should stop throwing it all together because I mean his yeah. curveball he hung a couple breaking balls and that was the one that obviously got banged by Zach Hagen for a home run. Was right. Just a, uh, and his pitch tendencies, I mean, it's obviously, I don't know how much he has control over. He shook a few times and uh, definitely would step off a couple times where Paul Shuey really noticed, like, uh, he really knows what he wants to throw, and he was pitching. So Paul was actually impressed with his pitch ability yeah. but then and the quality of his arsenal, but at the same time, he missed an awful lot for a guy who only walked one, one batter and um, just made some head-scratching pitches. Yeah. Where you see, so his so peak Funkhauser, you see why he was a top ten caliber talent, mm-hmm. and probably still could be in this draft class. But I also understand why he's not. After watching him, North Carolina is not a good offense right now. It's not a confident offense. It's a back half of a lineup that's extremely pitchable. There's really no one to fear uh, outside of Ramirez in terms of power in the whole lineup. I know Warmoth hit a homer and then Gahagan, but yeah, there's really no one to fear. And uh, he gave up four runs and nine hits in six innings. He doesn't seem like he knows how to dominate. And four years in, in college, he should know with a fastball that can be 95, 96 when he wants it. Yeah. And that he has a power breaking ball. He has a curveball that you can throw 81 miles an hour. And his changeup had its moments yesterday, too. He should be better than he is. So, I, for me, I, I don't think you can count on that. That's actually, to me, the, my biggest question about Louisville. Well, I mean... When you say all of that about Funkhauser, it kind of sounds like you're talking about Louisville as a whole. It but, is in some ways. But the thing about him and them is that he's just their Sunday starter. If that's your Sunday starter, I mean, most teams... That's in, the separator of good to great, though. It is, but, I mean, even in the top ten here, I mean, he would be a, a much... Or he would be an improvement on a lot of these teams' Sunday guy or... In some cases, they're Saturday guy. But, but just comparing him to the to, but to the national championship contenders, uh, he might be better than uh, who's Miami's third starter? Uh, Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia, I'd probably take Danny Garcia. Yeah, he's not one, but I mean, Mississippi Kyle, State. Kyle Simons does a no hitter at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. And Alex Fado is really, really good. So I mean, that's their competition. That's really their but, peer I mean, group. But, but you look at Mississippi State, they don't have a, a very reliable Sunday starter. You look at Texas Tech, they're throwing three freshmen. Ole Miss is shaky after Bramlett. Uh, Florida State would probably put Funkhauser on Friday Friday's over right. Mike Compton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, South Carolina's set pretty well, and TCU has the injury issues, and right now they'd be happy to have Funkhauser. I don't know right. where he'd fit if they were at full strength. But, I mean, those are the top ten teams, and Funkhauser looks pretty good in most of their rotations. So if he can just – you know, there are high expect- – it's like with Louisville. There are high expectations no for doubt. Funkhauser. And that he's not there, and they're not quite there. But what they is is still fine for what it for what they are. I, I still think that they're. I, I like their. I think their offense is outstanding now with Solak back. I, I would not want to face. That's a difficult lineup to navigate. And I didn't see Harrington on Saturday. He's obviously performed very well. I like where their pitching's at. I thought Logan uh, Lincoln Hensman looked good yeah. Sunday in middle relief. They're trying to get him back. Um, but for me, I'm not saying that it's, he's a good third starter. I think we just talked about like the elite teams that are ahead of them. That's one of the reasons they're better than Louisville for me is um, is that third star. Because I, I think Funkhauser has to be he needs to pitch with a closer mentality and be all out for five six innings. And to me, he doesn't seem like the fact that he doesn't know that is a problem. The the thing with them though too is once they get to regional play, super regional and all that, they also have another option in Cade McClure. Yep. You know, in case he's, they do need to make a change there. I mean he's been he's been great in the they need to make a change. That's a right. fourth option. Yeah. Well yeah. I mean Dan McDonald talked about how in years past they've had guys break in from, from midweeks into the rotation like Dace Kime did a few years ago. Yeah. Um and that it's a credit to the guys they have this year that McClure, who's undefeated, right? Yeah, he's um, undefeated. Yeah, that he hasn't been able to, to break in. So they do have a fourth guy if they need it in the ACC tournament or in regionals or in right. Omaha or whenever. But, I, I mean, I can't see them. That's a, I like their pitching depth. Yeah. And I like that their best guy doesn't have to be Kyle Funkhauser. They're fortunate because if he had to be their best guy, they'd be, they wouldn't be a top-10 team. Yeah. Um, they are number two in the RPI, Jimmer. This finally getting this series went on the road yeah. seems like it makes them an extremely likely bet to be a national seed with two weeks left in the regular season. 
Um, is that how you see it? Is that how you see it? Does it make Louisville's they have to like really collapse and not be a national seed? Uh, yeah, I think. Um, I mean, they play uh, North Carolina State this weekend, so that's a that's a pretty decisive series as far as who gets to be a a national seed from the ACC. I, I mean, Miami's pretty much locked. Florida State is on track. So you kind of got. If you, if, you, if you assume Miami, then you've got three teams for two spots, really, with FSU, Louisville, and uh, NC State. So that was that's a big, big series this weekend. Yeah. Um, that was another big series this past week. It was NC State and Clemson. Yeah, Clemson. NC State plays Louisville next weekend. Yeah, so I don't think – I mean, NC State losing to Clemson, I don't think that really changes much. I think it was always going to be down to the Louisville series for them. Um, like I thought, with four weeks to go, when they had – going into their series with Duke – and then they had Clemson, Louisville, and North Carolina to finish. Really, the the Clemson series was the one that they could kind of get away with losing, and as long as they didn't get swept, and that's what happened. So, really, I mean, this this weekend, I mean, those two teams are a game apart. Uh, Louisville and NC State are a game apart in the loss column. So, whoever wins that series this weekend is going to have the inside track. Um, that's I mean, that's pretty much what I mean. Louisville, if they had lost to UNC, and then they have one road series left with Wake. It would have been really interesting to see how they got treated with a right not winning a road series if all they, year. If they were had have had five or six road, uh, series losses, yeah, even with an RPI that's that lofty, yeah, that probably because I mean winning on the road is a big deal to the committee, and if you can't, I mean they wouldn't have any bad losses. I mean even at BC, I mean hey, BC's beaten good other good teams, so that even that one's not bad. But yeah, if they had, if they hadn't won a road series all year, it would have been interesting. Now if, if they were to lose to Wake. And essentially be what one in five in terms of road series. They could still trip them up, but if they finish first or second in the division, if they win two out of three this weekend, end up first or second in the division, they'll they should. I can't imagine them not being a top eight seed. Well, the most inexplicable team in the top of the RPI, or the top ten of the RPI, is five ACC, five SEC. <laughs> it's the only inexplicable one in there to me, and I guess it's really not that inexplicable. Is Clemson? That was a, that seemed like a crucial series win for Clemson this weekend, and we were talking about reliever discussion. We've talked about Troy Rawlings a little bit and how UW has gotten it done, and he's the number one reason. Yeah, the number one reason why Clemson is relevant nationally it feels like everyone talks about Seth Beer with good reason. 14 home runs. He's had a monster season, had a long hitting streak. But Pat Crawl, guys, yeah. that's the other closer maybe you don't want to face. 0.87 ERA on a team that's got like a 4.60 ERA. Is he like the most valuable pitcher in the country, basically, Mike? I mean, this guy, he's carrying their pitching staff on his back and then started and they actually won a game where, you know, they limited – he threw a CG against NC State in, uh, in his first start of the year. Yeah, well, just named ACC Pitcher of the Week. and for, Fresh in your inbox. Fresh in my inbox. Uh, yeah, and for good reason. I mean, actually .73 ERA right now with the – I was six, looking at old data. Yeah, so he's uh, – I mean, he's he's thrown 61 innings, 61 and two-thirds innings for them this year, mostly out of the pen. He's been kind of their, their Swiss Army knife out of out of the bullpen, their moment of truth reliever, as yeah. we've talked about before, you know, the guy they need. He was huge, and, you know, back earlier in the year in the South Carolina series, uh, when they, they played the rubber game, he really stabilized that game for, for them and was, was huge in that game. And really, you look at every key must-win must game they've played this year, and he's played a factor in it. And even just this past week alone, the Monday game against Florida State, he threw seven innings out of the pen and shut down the Seminoles. And then, of course, uh, you know, yesterday against State, you know, through that complete game, as, as you were mentioning. So he's been, you know, if they didn't have him, I don't know. I don't know where they would be right now because their, their pitching staff isn't in great shape. You know, the team ERA is 4.59. Right now, and well, the pitching numbers are ugly, and they're last in the yeah. ACC in fielding percentage as well. Like they've made the most errors. Yeah, and I don't know what their advanced metrics would say about their defense, but <laughs> just eyeballing them when I've watched them on TV, it's not a great defensive team. It's I don't know. It didn't stand out to be as poor, but it certainly didn't stand out as good either. Yeah, I mean, and they just they just don't have. I mean, it, it would have really would have been great if they got Jackson Kowar. That would have been such a difference maker for them or to have. Or Cal Raleigh, wasn't that their other big recruit? Yeah, yeah. That would their things would be different, but they may have, but they probably wouldn't have Seth Beer either if they still had Jack Leggett. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't know that he would have gotten Seth Beer to campus a semester early. So, yeah, so this is an interesting what if game. The what <laughs> the other what if game for them is they don't have any home series left. They have three midweek home games. They'll go to Notre Dame. That's their only other ACC series. 
feels like Clemson, by winning that series and having this lofty RPI, they're in position to host a regional, even with basically a 500 ACC record. I mean, are they a regional host in your mind, Teddy? Are they um, that good? Well, I'll let Jimmer make the field on Wednesday and then tell him whether he's right or wrong. Um, <laughs> I like that approach. Uh, but... I mean, they're certainly, they have to be in the discussion, I think, uh, as Jim likes to remind me and everyone else that not all 16 hosts can be ACC and SEC teams. Uh, so there is that. You know, not every... It's not written that they can't be, but the, <laughs> but the history says they're not. Not every... Yeah, no, there's never been more than five, I don't think. Yeah, not every um, ACC... There's so many ACC teams with these really good RPIs um, that I mean, there's seven in the top 16, or eight in the top 16... Um, that they all seem like they're in the in the mix. I feel like if Clemson goes out and wins that series at Notre Dame, finishes, they would then be fifteen and fifteen, or if they swept it, sixteen yeah. and fourteen in the ACC, they would be firmly in the mix. I don't know whether that would be good enough to host, but I think that puts them really, really in the mix. I mean, they're above yeah. five. They have seventeen top fifty wins. They're 31 and 16 overall. They have this nine RPI. They have some big series wins now against Florida State, against North Carolina State. They've got things to put them in the discussion. Right. Their top 50 wins. And South Carolina. I can't forget that either. Exactly. Their top 50 wins is a loud um, statement, I would say. I don't don't think it matters to the committee anymore, but they do lead the ACC in attendance as well. Uh, They came into the weekend averaging 4,600 a game. I didn't look at the attendance numbers because for some reason my my, my main man uh, Brian Hennessy, their SID since the first days when I uh, the first regional I ever went to in 1998 was at Clemson. Um, I sat next to uh, Harold Jamison the entire weekend. He was a sports he was a power four of the basketball team and a sports information intern when the basketball season ended. So uh, he was at my beck and call all weekend, which was awesome <laughs> to have a six foot eight bruising power forward at my beck and call. But um, they draw very very well. And that, if it's on the borderline, that can't hurt their case that they lead the ACC in attendance, at least according to Brian's notes. But he doesn't send out the, the box scores anymore. You have to follow the link to get the box scores. I didn't see all their that's, – that's one click too many for me. So I didn't take a look at their attendance this weekend. Um, on the flippity-flop is North Carolina losing the series to Louisville. It's going to be our last ACC point. But they're 13th in the RPI. But I feel like they're further from making the NCAA tournament than ever – Jimmer, if they don't make it to the ACC tournament and still have a top 15 RPI, are they going to get in? Correct me if I'm I, wrong. I think the Matt Harvey Jr. season in 2010, North Carolina did not make the ACC tournament, which at that time I believe was an 18 was tournament. A, yeah, they finished And they got in that large bid anyway. Yeah. yeah, it used to happen um, with some regularity. Occasionally on the ACC and SEC, when they only had eight teams in right. the tournament, that you would have a ninth place team go. And that happened, obviously, it happened to Carolina once. I think it happened in the SEC once or it twice. It definitely happened with Florida at least yeah. once. If not, I know it's happened more but than that. Now, when you've got 10 or 12, 12. 12 in the SEC's case, I mean, it's tough to imagine an 11th place team getting in that large bid, no matter what your RPI Carolina is. Carolina could be 12th place. Yeah, 11, yeah, no matter what your RPI is. I mean, they're. They're ten and fourteen. I mean, they're so they're still thirteenth in the RPI, but I mean, they've been they've been just so. I mean, the, the committee hit. compare. You know, <laughs> they. I mean, they look at how you. You know, the last fifteen game record is one of the things they look at, and obviously we're still in that stretch. But I mean, they're they've just been so. Five, you know, this going to what a five hundred, maybe sub five hundred for the last what month and a half. Now. They're sub five hundred. They were eighteen and two at one point. Yeah, they were eighteen and two. And now they're thirty and seventeen. So, so they what twelve and fifteen in their last twenty seven games. I don't well, think they're yeah. that bad, but yeah. they're not. They've got they six conference games two, to go. You got to get to at least thirteen to have a chance. So they need to go at least three and three against Notre Dame and NC State these last two weekends, which is completely doable. Yeah, so, I but so they, really I need to go four and two. Personally. Yeah, per, yeah, thirteen is the minimum. Fourteen would be better. So yeah, so they probably need to go four and two, which I mean. They probably. I mean, the way Notre Dame is playing, they need to sweep that series. To be I'm honest, try, I'm Notre Dame is their, really trending down. I'm trying to see what their best series win is for North Carolina. Probably still Oklahoma State, wouldn't it? Would it in yeah, terms it's got to be Oklahoma State. In terms of RPI, I think it is Oklahoma State at 27. The next best one is Pittsburgh and yeah. Duke. So the the road sweep at Duke, you have a 10 mile drive in front of mostly a partisan crowd in their favor. At Duke is their big series win of the year, and that's their only sweeps 
Oklahoma yeah. State and Duke. Now, Duke, you think you? I mean, well, I guess Fairfield. Duke was last time they won a Sunday game, was it not? I think you. I believe that's that, correct. Yeah. They have been very bad in the third game of series. Um, very, very bad, Jetty. I mean, it's really that is the last one, and uh, it's just it, it's been rough to watch in person because I get paid to do a lot of their games, and it's not, I don't get paid a lot. I just get paid to, to see a lot of their <laughs> games, and it's difficult to watch a team that had. I got every break early in the year. And I didn't, they didn't just get breaks. They made every break. If they had a runner at second and less than two outs, he scored. They moved him, and they hit a grounder to the right side, and they'd score from the outfield. Now it's the case where they're down a run. Tyler Ramirez hits a single with Adam Payton at second base, and he gets hosed at the plate. Yeah. They, they never seem to get any, in basketball terms, any 50-50 balls don't go their way. So I don't think they were – I never thought they were as good as 18-2. and two. I don't think there's a, they're as bad as 12 and 15 since then. But uh, to me, this is a team that was a top 10 team at one point this year, and that's probably – they're in danger of missing the, the entire tournament. Yeah. And I don't think people should be fooled by their RPI. The other team that was a top 10 team early in the year and that now looks like they're going to miss the tournament is Cal. So now I'm switching to the Pac-12, guys, because <laughs> obviously I'm fascinated by the Pac-12. So Cal goes out again. So Cal is now 10th in the Pac-12. It's not going to do it. That is not gonna do it. Wouldn't be prudent at this juncture <laughs> to use a 25-year-old data carving joke. It would not be prudent at this juncture to put them in a tournament field. Um, they lost the series of Stanford this weekend. And they, they, they did After that by beating Tr- Tristan game, Beck. Yeah. <laughs> well, they did not beat Tristan Beck. They didn't beat Tristan Beck? That was the- it was a Thursday to Saturday, and Beck, ah, so Beck, Beck does not get, They don't mess around with Beck. He just throws on Friday. I wouldn't mess around with Beck either. He <laughs> doesn't. He, no soy when paired a door. He is uh, filthy. And he is filthy. Like the um, the freshman of the year race is going to be. I like I've said it mm. so many times this year. It's going to be so interesting between with here with Beer and Baker and Beck and some other guys that are having really good years out there. Um, but Tristan Beck. You're saying Joe Demers not going to win a preseason pick? Uh, yeah, I, I think he's <laughs> out. I think my preseason pick of Cole Sands is probably not going to get it done. That wasn't um, even the right freshman on his own team. Neither was no. neither was a neither was Joe Demers. <laughs> it turns out for a UW. But yeah, I mean that was uh, that was not good for Cal this weekend. But I mean they're still. I mean because of the way the Pac-12 works uh, and not having a tournament, they still have three weeks left, and they're only three and a half out of first. Um, they got so, Utah and at yeah, They only have two conference series. Oh, they left. do only have two conference series. Left. Yes. But the whole thing is very stacked up out there. It is. And so the fact that they're 11th now, um, or 10th now, rather, I mean, It's like, not insurmountable, yeah. but it's unlikely. They would have to sweep the Utes. And, and there's still not clarity in the Pac 12 guys. So UW has taken the lead, but only by a half game. They're tied in the loss column with Utah. Got to give the Utes props for still hanging in there. They have kept this going a lot longer than I thought they could. Any of the scouts, coaches I've talked to out west, um, their number one, it seems like the, the uh, Utes' number one tool is tenacity. Still um, seven games under 500. It's unreal. But the teams trending up appear to be UW and Arizona. And Arizona State, for sure. And, and, then, and that's, the, that's yep. the other dark horse, I guess, Jimmer, is Arizona State. Which has won eight of its last ten. Those three teams have won eight of their last ten. But the O State Ballas swept this weekend. So Arizona, I guess, is the other team that really has stepped forward. And Arizona has the highest RPI in the league. And they did it this weekend without Bobby Dahlbeck, who's like their sixth best hitter. <laughs> but is there has been their moment of truth pitcher. Um, an undisclosed injury that Coach Jay Johnson has not uh, divulged. We will give him credit for not uh, misleading anybody about it, but he's not disclosing Bobby Dahlbeck's injury. He does say it's minor. So he, but well, it was major enough to keep him out of the weekend in a crucial weekend series where they go ahead and sweep without him. I, I'm, I'm having a hard time fathoming what makes Arizona good besides Jay Johnson. He has totally turned their, the envi- their environment around, it seems like. Well, he's outstanding, obviously, the first year coach. Um, did a great job at uh, Nevada, made Nevada. Uh, uh, regional team last year. Yeah, been. yeah. Oh, and they they did make it. They wound up missing. They got hosed. That's right. They did. They got, that's right. I remember that's the last time I think I talked to them on the phone was when they when they didn't they get were, in. He was not snub. happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> Understandably so. Well, this team at Arizona. I mean, he's got them playing really well. Uh, they do a lot of 
little things well, I, I get the impression, and you know they're, they've managed to be very focused all year long. Um, he has them mentally right, and they're getting contributions from guys that um, maybe is a little surprising um, in, in a lot of cases that where it's older guys stepping up that hadn't hadn't been key contributors for the Wildcats in years past, but now that they're juniors and seniors, they're and they have opportunities. They're coming into their own, and, and they're um, you know they're they're getting they're getting wins, and they've gotten wins all year. They I mean they started the year with a, a series win at Rice. Sounds like what you're saying is that all they do is win. I they uh, no they win a what. lot. I mean they're 31 and 16. I'm I'm stunned that they're that they have that kind of record. That they're they're 12 and five against the RPI top 50. Their resume is a stacked resume. Mm-hmm. Feels like it's a regional resume, Jimmer. A regional yeah. hosting resume. Yeah, I mean. They, I think they had that ones where they got swept by Utah, if I remember right. Yeah, they got swept um, by so Utah. They've been, they so lost like to the, Washington yeah. as well. But, I mean, I think it's, I mean, I was tweeting about this last you know, yesterday that, I mean, you know, we talked for a while, there might be no Pac-12 hosts. I mean, you could have two. I mean, UW and Arizona are both, you know, if, I mean, UW's got number 35 in the RPI, so they've got a little, they don't have much margin for error. But if they can finish well, win the regular season title, at least get into the 20s, and then Arizona keeps doing what it's doing. I mean, they could both host, and that's it's very possible. I mean, they're especially the way Arizona's going. I mean, the walls they've been playing. They still now they get Arizona State this weekend, which is a very big series. I mean, Red obviously the Sun Devils are playing really well, so that's I mean that's a that's a crucial one. But if they can get past that, and like I think I was saying, if those two teams finish one two and both are in the twenties, then that would probably they would probably both get it. And. Now you're leading me into other West Coast discussion. Who are the other teams that are potential hosts out West? It feels like the West Coast Conference has not done itself favors by eating its, its, itself. Yeah, no. uh, a little cannibalization going out there. St. Mary's leads the league now. They, they, they are not going to put in a bid to host. They can't host on campus. BYU could host, and the NCAA they, sent on the memo at the end of the week basically making accommodations for BYU, not just as a host, but in whatever regional BYU's in. They don't play Sundays, so you're basically a Thursday. Was it, was it a Friday, Saturday, Monday? It's Thursday. 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 It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Monday if necessary. Monday. Yeah. Although, unless BYU is knocked out, then you would have the necessary game on Sunday. So there you go. So, But BYU, as, it, as it stands, BYU is in danger of not Yeah, they went and lost to Pepperdine this weekend, yeah. which was not uh, not a good idea. They are trending. So. Well, they're trending in the wrong direction. That's three of their last four series they've lost. Yeah, so they're, they're down to 48, which is very much 48 in the RPI, which is very much bubble territory. And they do not, like, if St. Mary, they lost to the series to St. Mary's. So St. Mary's, if they, you know, if they were to end up tied at the top of the WCC uh, in the re- at the end of the regular season, um, that would, that would go against That BYU. conference could go so many different but, ways. But right. I mean, that conference tournament is only four teams, and we pretty well know those four teams now. It's St. Mary's, Gonzaga, uh, BYU, BYU, and Pepperdine. More and, than likely. Although LMU and, San, and San, uh, San Francisco are only a half game back of Pepperdine. Yeah, that's not, that's not done. But if Pepperdine does get the four, then that's four legit aces throwing in day one of that conference tournament, and pretty much anything could happen at that point. Right. Um, but BYU would have to win that day because what they don't have is pitching depth. So to come out of a loser's bracket would be a pretty tall task for them. Slug your way through it is basically would be why you would have to do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, they, they need to win that first game because after that it's going to be a matter of... But I mean, who hit. would you rather see, Friday night starters in the West Coast Conference or Friday night in the Pac-12? That's tough. For this year's draft, you'd rather see the West Coast Conference. You're talking those, about J.D. Buzzfield at Loyola Marymount, A.J. Puckett, uh, you know, Corbin Burns, obviously, at St. Mary's. What's the guy's name? Bailey at Gonzaga, little guy, little yeah, right and uh, Michael Rucker at BYU yeah. leads the nation and wins. Yeah, these guys th- th- on Friday nights for draft eligible guys, you'd rather watch the West Coast Conference than the Pac-12, and that is not good for the Pac-12. Uh, it's the Baseball America podcast. I want to remind you that you could go to store.baseballamerica.com. That link is now live. Uh, all of our books are available, with the exception of the draft book. Which is late because it's so awesome. It has really got redonkulous information and knowledge in it. We'll have a little teaser from it. Not the next issue, but the issue after that. Uh, looking forward to that. That issue actually will be the one that's available in Omaha in the Caldwell series. I'll go to press June 2nd. So I have a little excerpt from the upcoming draft book. It's uh, celebrated the first 50 years of the draft, but we're getting ready to have the 51st year because uh, this book was a gargantuan project and our founding editor, Alan Simpson, Founder of the magazine, uh, putting this book together, and it's uh, 
It's going to be awesome with a capital A, baby. So uh, you can go pre-order that at store.baseballamerica.com. Order individual issues, any of our books, subscribe to the magazine. It's a good link to have. Um, Want to also just touch base uh, before we wrap up the Pac-12. Did uh, O-State do irreparable harm to their regional chances? And Teddy, how good is Oregon State? Or are they good? Are they middling? I mean, is, is there another good team in the Pac-12 besides UW and Arizona? Or are those the only two good teams? I mean, there's there's really not a lot of separation there. But like, what's the best series win? What's the best resume? Is that win against Rice by Arizona? Is that the best win on any Pac-12 team's resume? Bueller? Anybody? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm like, Stanford has that Fullerton series win. Uh, Oregon, Oregon beat Santa Barbara, which Oregon I know does not impress you very much. Which, yeah, no. Um, I'm, I'm about to switch gears to the Big West because I cannot believe Oh, Cal the Big has... Um, at Duke. <laughs> oh, they lost that series. Lost. They, they lost to Duke. Texas. They swept ah. to Texas. There was another one I thought I was going to mention for them. There is another. I don't know. There's some okay series wins out there, but no, no one has like multiple big time series wins. And part of that is a product of the fact that the West has no big time teams. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's UGLY. Yeah, it's, I mean, the out there, um, I mean, those teams are playing well right now. Arizona, Arizona State, Washington, and they're going to be tough once they get into regionals. But um, the the overall uh, Pac-12, you know, as we've said all year, is uh, it's shaky. It's shaky, all right. Um, I'll tell you what's not shaky is the top of the Southeastern Conference, and that's because Florida and Texas A&M and Mississippi State keep taking care of business and this weekend I guess Florida you know actually like lost a game which was a little bit surprising that they would lose a game at Tennessee because Tennessee was the last place Tennessee team in the league. Tennessee just beat Vanderbilt at home though. They, they, they did but they also this got is, swept the week before. Tennessee but that was on the road. The thing about the SEC is like I don't know who you look at and you're like oh well that's the that's the team I want to face this weekend. I, there, there is none. I've, I've had this conversation with many people down there and I mean, anytime you think that's like, oh, it's that team, they go out and weekend. Yeah, they go out and win. Like going into that Vanderbilt series, you probably would have said, well, it's probably Tennessee, and then they go beat Vanderbilt. Um, you know, which is odd. You no think doubt. you think it's Arkansas, and then Arkansas goes out and wins at Kentucky, and I mean, it, it just keeps happening down there. We've said it a lot. I especially have said it a lot. There are no off weekends in the in the SEC, and there are really no off games. That said, I still am surprised that Florida lost a game to Tennessee. I just, I just, I'm surprised when uh, the when the first place team loses to the last place team. I know that there's not a huge difference, but uh, maybe so. Maybe it's a good explanation that I shouldn't be. I'm also surprised when there's a no hitter in the league, and this was our first no hitter since stunning. 1994. Yeah. No. So uh, in conference play, so Texas A&M not just getting the shut, the not the the no hitter by Kyle Simons. But shutting out Vanderbilt twice on the weekend, does that rank as the most impressive SEC series all year? There's a lot of competition for that, but I don't, I even, think that's, Carolina, I don't even think that's AM's most impressive series. Yeah. AM really? still has a sweep at Mississippi State. Yeah, and, and they scored 30 runs in that series. But shutting out Vanderbilt twice, I know the Vanderbilt's offense I'll take, struggled I'll take away the, from Hawkins. I'll take the uh, road sweep against a really, really, really good Mississippi State team over the home win. Against Vanderbilt, which is really, really good itself. But it's not just the win. I guess to me, it was. The, but I, I would, I would have thought that the two most impressive were A and M at Mississippi State and South Carolina sweeping at Ole Miss. Those two road sweeps, the ones that stick out in my head. But it sounds like Mike, you agree with Teddy that um, I'm, you're impressed, but not as impressed by what A and M did. No, I'm de- uh, Starkful. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely impressed. I mean, anytime you, you do that with you know what Vanderbilt has, but we've we've talked a little bit about this when we when we've done our top twenty five meetings is. You know the Vandy offense has had its struggles. It's this iffy year. away from Hawkins, that's for sure. Yeah, so it's you know while it's it's obviously impressive, it's not like it hasn't been done you know by other teams this year with them. I'm I still remain just so impressed by AM's depth uh, on the mound, and this is what Rob Childress is known for. He did it at Nebraska. He's done it at A and M, but man, just the, the injuries they've had, the fact that some guys haven't performed, it doesn't seem like any of it's mattered. No matter who they roll out there, they compete on the mound. They pitch extremely well. Um, but did anybody see Kyle Simon's no hitter coming? Anybody see this coming at all? I mean, does he have quote unquote no hit stuff? 
the to me the even more impressive than or one of the things that makes it impressive especially is that he was so efficient. It was 83, 83 pitches. 83 pitches. It was like a Maddox. The only the only base runner was a first inning error. He then retired the next 25 guys. I mean, it was... Uh, I, th- Hashtag impressive. That kind of stuff. I mean, you, you, you can't possibly see that coming. And the fact that there has been a no-hitter in the SEC for 20 years means that... I mean, I, it, was, it was very impressive. It was not the way Vanderbilt wanted to end that series. Um, they pitched really well themselves in that series. Uh, Sheffield lost one to nothing on Friday night uh, in a really, really or Thursday night in a really good game. Yeah, and then uh, they come back and they win on Saturday, and they're only three runs in that Sunday game. Um, it was it was a really well pitched series all, all the way around. It was a pretty sick um, amount of velocity being thrown around and just uh, zeros being thrown around by both clubs. Um, I guess the other. Uh, I think that struck me this weekend. Again, I, I, I harped on on Florida, but um, South Carolina, kind of a does anybody see? I mean, there's the strikeout rate of the top two pitchers, Schmidt and Webb, continues to uh, be just remarkable. It's like a school record kind of strikeout pace. And yet, does it feel like South Carolina slipping at least a little bit, or is this more just credit to kind of Kentucky with their backs against the wall? Yeah, I didn't feel like there was. Them slipping at all. I mean, Kentucky beat Florida in yeah. Kentucky. They're tough to beat there, um, Arkansas notwithstanding. But <laughs> uh, you know, South Carolina. They're. I mean, they're still really good. They um, and like that Florida series, it went right down to the wire. Right. Um, South Carolina or um, Kentucky got gets walk offs in the rubber game of both of those two series. So I mean, you know, South Carolina is right there to win the series, just like Florida was right there to win the series. When they went to Kentucky, Kentucky gets it done. Credit to Kentucky. Um, but South Carolina just a week ago beat Florida. Right, you right. Know, they, they split. Split those two games. So, you know, I, I, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about where South Carolina like is South at. Carolina was just so hot earlier in the year. Yeah, and I mean. And there's a little natural that was, slippage right, from that. That was, that was probably unsustainable, and um, especially with the, the schedule they're facing. They, they face a tough schedule down the stretch here. Uh, you know, they have A&M next weekend. They were at Kentucky. They had Florida. I mean, it, it's a tough stretch for them right now. It feels now. like runs are going to be at a premium in that Gamecocks-Aggie series because those two teams pitch like crazy. Jim is Nebraska, uh, Nebraska. Kentucky at 45 in the RPI. Do SEC teams get at large bids when they're when they're in the 40s? It feels like the signs point Generally to no. Generally not. Yeah, that's not the trend. Um, but, I mean, Kentucky, as long as they finish over 500, when you've got series wins against South Carolina and Florida – I think they'll be fine. Um, I mean, 45 is certainly borderline, but I, I, I wouldn't. So, I mean, they're 13 and 11 right now. Uh, still, you know, seven and nine against the top 50s. You know, it's, you know, just vanilla. But still, I mean, with those two series wins, I, I think as long as they don't, uh, you know, gag it up here the last couple of weeks. <laughs> you mean trying, like, trying to search for the right to? You mean like Arkansas did yes. in the Saturday game against LSU, yeah, uh, winning nine to one and gagged it up and lost ten to nine? Um, but they should be. I think they'll be fine. That was the most. That was the epitome of Arkansas season this year. It was I, the rally possum though. Rally possum story. I saw that. What was the specifics of rally possum besides that? That involved Zach Jackson at all? Because Zach Jackson needed like seventy pitches in the first two innings. I think he was out of the game at that point. After four innings. The, uh, I think he was you know, long gone by the time the possum ran around the outfield in Alex Box Stadium. <laughs> and then they, that's when they rallied. They were down 9-1, then it was 9-4, I think 9-6. He scored four in the bottom of the ninth, I believe, to win uh, in walk-off fashion. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, that, was, that was a difficult game to watch. That's what I did when I was at Boston when I was trying to watch that game. And that game was... Difficult to watch. Not high quality uh, college baseball, but an important sweep, obviously, for LSU. Uh, and that's the other team that seems like they're in that potential regional hosting yeah. mix. Jim, every time you think that they're dead, they're, they come back. Yeah, they, they've, you know, they keep responding. Um, I mean, they are they might be at the back. I mean, they're 17th in the RPI, so they might be kind of at the back of the line. I mean, they're, you know, all these teams are in it. That's the thing with this, these two, ACC and SEC. I mean, everybody is still in it. I mean, you've still got... You know, we talked about you know North Carolina. I mean, if they somehow won out, they would be, be they would be sixteen, fourteen. They'd probably be in the conversation. I mean, Virginia is fourteen and ten. They're they're in it. I mean, I'd probably. I mean, we talked about Clemson kind of backtracking a little bit. I'd probably put Virginia ahead of Clemson in the uh, 
ACC pecking or Georgia I mean, Tech. I don't think Virginia's out of the national seed conversation. Right. No, I, I mean, no one, I mean, Georgia Tech is, if they beat Miami tonight, that would be a huge series win for them. On, you know, obviously they'd be building on that sweep of Coastal. Uh, they're, they'd still be in it. Everyone, there's no one that's really out of it. Um, from I mean, you've got, what, so the top, you got 15 of the top 17 are those two conferences? Oof. Texas it seems wrong. Tex, yeah. Texas Tech and Coastal being the only ex- it's almost I mean like RPI it almost becomes I don't want to say irrelevant but it is you can say it it should be if yeah, it should I be mean, irrelevant I mean it's just so out of whack you gotta look at other stuff which generally has been the standings I mean that's where you gotta go that's what that's how you that's the best way to stack these teams up standings and head to head I mean and they're all gonna have so the RPI is so high they're all gonna have inflated top 50 wins and all that kind of stuff so it's you look at their road records. That's a thing the committee looks at. You look at their obviously head-to-heads conference play, and that's that's really where you got to go because the RPI is almost it's just it's a wash. Well, Mike, there are two teams that were in our top fifteen last weekend that I wanted to touch on. One still in our top fifteen. That's Rice, mm-hmm. which is maintained along with Southern Miss, uh, staying in the top of this very competitive conference USA. The other one is Santa Barbara, which I think is the, uh, uh, reeling from the. Michael Nana Jinx, are you going <laughs> yes. to see them in Charleston? They haven't won crap since then, it feels like, <laughs> except for the Hawaii series. But uh, Santa Barbara laid it. Let's, let's go negative first. All right. um, I'm in the spirit of the 2016 election. Santa Barbara laid a pretty big egg this weekend with Davis. <laughs> um, t- down to 20th in the RPI. They hosted a regional last year. They had this inexplicably high RPI coming into this weekend. It's still kind of unreal high when you see who they've actually played What's real, but what's what's the real Santa Barbara team, and what's what do they got left as they head into play this crucial weekend series coming up against Fullerton? Yeah, well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head as far as this weekend, and it is a crucial series. It's like pretty much all on the line, especially if it feels yeah. like if Fullerton wins this series, that's the other. Well, here's the West thing about UCSB: they aren't even in second place in the yeah, they're Big in West third West place in the Big West right now, behind Long Beach State. Right. I mean, which which of those teams do you like best? I mean, you you saw the 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 Gauchos. Almost feels like the Titans have kind of wrested the uh, the crown from them in terms of just in terms of best team out there, not just first place. I mean, the thing about the Titans, and this is similar to what they did last year, where they came on strong at the end of the year and just kind yep. of snuck in into the the postseason, and then snuck into a super regional, and then snuck into Omaha, and you know that's kind of what they do. That's kind of been their their mo. And I mean, you look at them now, you know that's, that's right where probably you know Coach Vanderhoek expected them to be. Who would, know, have the that, the who would have thought that Timmy Richards would be playing the role of D.O.B. this year? I mean, like, uh, well, I want to always call him O.D.B., but I know it's David Almeida Barrera, but yeah. I, I feel like if I were his teammate, I would have called him O.D.B. just for the hell of it, and yeah. I'm sure he would have been amused by my old Dirty Bastard reference. Either that or he would have been like, who's that? Oh, Wu-Tang. That. My parents like <laughs> Wu-Tang, you know? But, um, yeah. but, but if, if they do have a much deeper pitching staff this year, yeah. it feels like, with the Titans. I feel like that's their biggest advantage is that Santa Barbara feels like it's just not that deep. It's and if they're if you beat Shane Bieber and you get past that, it, it feels like the lineup's a little top heavy too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say Santa Barbara is super deep, you know, especially after you know losing the pitchers they lost to the draft coming right. into this year. But they're a little banged up right now as well. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I still like what I saw when I saw them. I mean, obviously, I mean, Bieber's a quality Friday night starter. Um, Noah Davis has been good for them this year. He's one of the guys that's banged up. Yeah. They're not at full strength, it doesn't yeah. sound like right now. Yeah. And that's, that is that, but you still can't lose to No, I mean, they can't can lose you? that series. And <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't understand it, um, you know, because it wasn't, it wasn't a close series. They went out on Sunday and got there, you know, Davis, you know, went out, won the series in convincing fashion right. in the rubber game. And, you know, that's the kind of thing you can't afford to be doing right. when you're trying to hold on to, uh, you know, I mean, UCSB wasn't out of the national seed race until last weekend because their RPI was nine going into the weekend. It's unreal. I mean, it's really like that they were a top ten, and they dropped 11 spots to Davis. That just tells you how uh, how Davis was regarded Really feels like with uh, with with Fullerton, if they you know if they host a regional and if things break right, that's going to be a very dangerous team. I think in the postseason again, uh, everyone thinks that Jason Dietrich remains the best pitch caller on the West, right up there with 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 John Savage, if not better. 
They've got depth. They've got Provorov now in their bullpen to go with Hawken. I don't know if Hawkins still popping 97, 98 like he was earlier this year, but I had some reports of 98 miles an hour with an 87 to 90 slider out of Chad Hawkins early. It sounds like he's more like in that 91, 95 range of late uh, with a you know, still the plus slider. Um, you got Seabold, you got Gavin. Uh, they're so deep that Blake Quinn was in yeah. their weekend rotation early. Now he's kind of like still trying to find himself. But that's a wild card. In their uh, circus stats, been outstanding for them. The JUCO transfer, they've got all kinds of weapons for Dietrich. Eastman. Yeah, Colton Eastman's outstanding. The freshman. freshman out of Fresno, uh, with a real good changeup. I guess a plus changeup according to the scouts I've talked to. I mean, not for this year's draft, obviously he's a freshman, but they've got a lot of options for Jason Dietrich to play with. And you know, last year he had like four options to play with. Then he got into Omaha. I mean, and they're and they're scrappy offensively. Obviously, hooky. We'll figure out how to manufacture offense out there. Give them, give them enough time. And uh, Balzer's had a nice year for them as a Dalton. As, I guess it's just Blazer. I think I'm Blazer. I think yeah. I'm. I think it's funnier <laughs> to call him Balzer. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, they, so, the, so they've they've had other offensive people come through for them. Tanner Pinkston's been good for them. I, I like Fullerton. I don't know if you guys feel like they're a Omaha threat or are they just more of a best of a bad. West I don't know what to make of them because they have the best series win out West of anyone. Pac-12, Big West, West Coast Conference, WAC, Mountain West, whatever. Yeah, They went to Texas Tech and won a series. They also have a lot of very confusing series losses. Correct. And one of the, one of the not-so-confusing series losses, but a series loss they do have, is they lost to Long Beach State in Fullerton, and they still have to go to Long Beach at the end of the season in what could decide the Big West title. Right. So this last three weeks is going to be crucial for them. Obviously, it's big for everyone, but for a team that's trying to hang on to first place, they you know go to UCSB this weekend. That's the third place team in the, in the Big West. And they have Hawaii at home, and then they have to go to Long Beach, who's in second place. So uh, you know they're, they're going to have a chance to really establish themselves as a clear host uh, over the next few weeks, but it's also a difficult finishing stretch, and they've been playing really well of late. But they're going to have—they're now going to face the best teams that the Big West has to offer, and they've already lost a series at home to one of these. So it, it, I'm go, I'm very interested to see how the Titans handle this. I'm going to bet they wind up winning that league. Whether that's good enough for them to be a regional, uh, like a—they're a, not probably not going to be a national seed. <laughs> Their RPI is too low for that. But I bet you they're going to host as a one. If they win the league, that would mean two, you know, at least you're going to win one of those road series yeah. against top 50 yeah. RPI teams. Uh, to, to me, I, I thought that's a team. It that's definitely the one team out west, along with Arizona, that's trending in a positive direction. It definitely does help that they have a two-and-a-half game lead to play with as well. So they, they have some wiggle room here, uh, even though they are playing the, the other top teams. And Mike, I also wanted to ask you about the Conference USA race. We should talk Conference USA and Big Ten before we go on this uh, too long podcast. But uh, Conference USA, real quick, Mike, what's the? Uh, As the, the, these three teams at the top are separated by one game, we we have them all ranked: Southern Miss, Rice, Florida Atlantic. Uh, I don't know anything about Marshall, Louisiana Tech. By the way, those two teams are kind of creeping. I don't think they're at large teams, but those two teams have had really good regular seasons. They're both red hot. Um, what you know? Who, how would you handicap that race? Southern Miss, Rice, Florida Atlantic. Who, in your mind, who's the best team? We have FAU ranked at the top of that group. Oh no, no, we have. Rice. Sorry, we have Rice, then FAU, then Southern Miss, because FAU won that head-to-head with Southern Miss. But how, how do you handicap those three teams? Well, I think we're going to get a lot more clarity this weekend because Florida Atlantic and Rice are going to be playing each other. So that's going to you know shake out some things. We've got an owl on owl battle you know? <laughs> crime coming yeah. up so it's i mean it's tough i mean we have them all bunched up in our poll for a reason just because they're 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 close but um you know i like what you know looking at rice it's just you know john Duplantier and, and blake fox this weekend two guys two veteran guys it feels like they've been around forever like blake fox especially feels yeah. like he's been there for a long with time with his funky pickoff moves and and all that <laughs> kind of stuff but i mean they're gonna pitch and uh you know occasionally they'll have those offensive outbursts but i mean just the, the depth of arms that they have and always seem to have on that team. You know, I tend to like Rice ju- just from, from that standpoint alone. But obviously, you know, we'll see what plays out, you know, in this FAU-Rice battle this weekend. That's going to be, you know, tough, obviously huge. Tough for, for FAU. they got to go on the road midweek for two games at Ohio State as well. 
it's a five-game roadie yeah. for the Owls. I guess, hey, school's out. Let's go hit the road. Yeah. Um, they don't travel outside the state of Florida too often for non-conference series. I wonder when the last time they did that, uh, you know, besides the weekend, the tournament, when they played over at, uh, at Mississippi State. It seems like the rest of the year, their non-conference usually are in the state of Florida, like at the U, that kind of thing. FAU has some of those wins. Um, Southern Miss has like they have some injury issues they're starting to work through here, Teddy. How, how much does that impact their ability to finish strong and maybe be a third regional host in the Magnolia State? I they set up the best of any of these teams because they already have done they are they're done with Rice then they're done with FAU. Right. So you know between Rice and FAU, unless one of them sweeps this weekend, um, you know they're probably going to come out with you know they're they're probably both going to come out with a loss. And Southern Miss has Louisiana Tech, which is really good, uh, but they do get La Tech at home. And, I mean, the fact that, that they're already done with Rice and FAU makes me like them. Right. I, it's just an easier path in these final two weeks. And I think Rice is the better team. I know Southern Miss uh, won that series when they faced. It was a very tight series. They uh, had the benefit of being at home. Um, and they are banged up right now. And, and Rice is, is closer to full health. Um, but the fact that they're already done with with the the other two top teams in this conference right. means that they might end up being the the one standing at the end. I tell you, Louisiana Tech is the one like that the one team that feels like they could come out of nowhere to mess up your Schoenerology, Jim. Because a yeah. they've gotten hot. B Greg Goff has done this before at Campbell. He was mm. oh, successful right. at Campbell. He he did he did good things there. Louisiana Tech, I have to imagine it's liberating just for anyone who's with that school to be in a league that somewhat fits their geography. <laughs> they used to be in the WAC. I remember writing about the WAC a few years back, and it was like, I didn't mean to do that. But where it was like San Jose, two teams in California, two teams in Texas slash Louisiana. It was like this crazy in Hawaii. Tra- right? in Hawaii. Yeah. It was crazy travel. Um, but Greg Goff, it feels like they're doing it from the bullpen forward as well as a lot of these teams do. Look at Adam Atkins' season. Well, they, Adam Atkins having a ridiculous year in their bullpen. They pitched just really well. Um, and early on, they were using their uh, Friday starter on midweeks because of the way the schedule lined up. And so that allowed them to, to get some quality wins. They beat Louisiana Lafayette. They beat Arkansas uh, in midweeks. Uh, they actually swept the Lafayette series. Uh, the midweek season series. So they've got some things here. Their RPI is not where it needs to be right now. They're 69. Right. It's um, there. I mean, they got Southern Miss and Rice the last right. two years. Right. It's so all there ahead of there them. For, they I, don't see them I don't see them winning those two series, but if they do. It's there. It's there for the taking. They're going to be in. They're gonna, that RPI will be in bubble territory because oh, yeah. one of those is on the road. Yeah, this weekend. They'll be in the top four. That, this, so this could be a four bid league if. Something like that happens. I mean, I don't, I don't it see Marshall doing been, it. The CUSA had been the number three RPI league for a while. It's right. fallen off a bit. It's down to five. But there are really good teams in this conference, and it's a good year in Conference USA. It feels like they're getting, um, it feels like they're getting Southern Miss at the right time because Southern Miss is a little bit banged up. And I just, you know, I, I will always throw a bone to Jeff Wagner and Marshall. Marshall has really, really difficult things to overcome being in that league. And I just want to see this Tommy Lane Joker play, who that transferred in from Mount Hood for them, listed 6'7", 235, and shockingly he has 13 home runs. He's got to have long levers and big power. I haven't seen him play, but I just was getting ready for this podcast and just seeing, like, oh, my God, Marshall actually has this dude. I want to know more about Tommy Lane. Well, so Marshall uh, is on a six-game winning streak. They have 27 wins already this year, which is the second most in program history. Yeah. The program record is 30. Uh, they have eight regular season games to go. This might be uh, – they have, the Thundering Herd definitely has a chance to set the program record for wins. Uh, they clinched a spot in the CUSA tournament for the first time since 2010. Nice. Um, so they are – You're bringing the Marshall, the Thundering Herd knowledge. I'm impressed. It's all off the bat. And, uh, awesome. You can uh, – I mean – it's, uh, I don't know necessarily where this came from, but it is a really good year right now for Marshall between that's, this and Aaron Blair making the big leagues. There, there's a program it. that seems like it's trending in the right direction for it's sure. Coming, it's coming from the junior college ranks because I just, I, I remember writing, writing about Parker Danciu out of high school in West Boca because I went to Spanish River. I noticed, first of all, I can't imagine where West Boca is. That was swamps when I was in high school. 
I mean, like Yamato Road and the corner of Yamato and uh, what was that? Uh, Jog Road. That's the that's the corner where my high school was. It's the same road. We're eight miles up the road uh, from my high school. No, it was eleven miles. Is where Trey Turner went to high school because mm-hmm. there was no school there when I was there. There was, you know. That was a long freaking time ago, apparently. Almost 30 years ago now. <laughs> um, but West Boca was like swampland. Um, and Dan Hughes in their weekend rotation. He hasn't had a great year. But he started his college career at Florida uh, with the Polk State Junior College. So uh, most of these guys, and you look at all the bios, come from the junior college. But Jeff Wagner's been there for a long time. He has f- built a culture there that is scrappy. And uh, they, they span the globe to bring you the constant variety of player. Um, I'm very intrigued. I've always been intrigued by this program, and I just think he's done a really nice job there over the years. And seeing them toward the conference, toward the top of the conference USA uh, rankings or conference standings, uh, it is always a shocker, but it's a very pleasant surprise because you know Old Dominion's good this year. They have a 500 record, but that's a that's been a scrappy team with some wins. Um, this, like you said, this is a good league. And I think we think the Big Ten is a, bi- a good league as well. And guys, uh, there's just no, but there's no clarity to this, to this league. And Indiana being in first place in the regular season feels like a bad thing for the league. And that they have a 101 RPI, they have to win the tournament to get in the to get in the NCAA tournament, don't they? They have to win the Big Ten Conference tournament, right? You're yeah, not going to yeah, squeeze sure. in with this, are they? No, I'm starting to wonder. I'll, you know, Jim is the expert, but I'm starting to wonder. They're yeah. racking up some big series wins here, and they're going to get in the top 100, it looks like. I don't know. What's the lowest RPI an at-large team's ever had? Like 60-something? Last year, Oregon got in in the 60s. And that was like way beyond anything I'd, that had been done in years. But, but this is a team that still has Kentucky, Illinois, Louisville, and Nebraska. That's the Those are the last eight games on this. Those are all top 70 RPI teams. It's there for them to keep climbing. And unlike that Oregon team, they would have potentially a regular season championship. Plus some time in the Big Ten tournament to make it up even further. I don't know. I'm starting to wonder. I, I agree that it's unlikely. And when you see how out of whack the RPI is, if it's out of whack on the top end, maybe it's out of whack this way. Although I think the thing that drags them down is they're 7-6 and six against teams of 101 to 200 in the mm-hmm. RPI. So they have some bad losses, like starting off the series with the loss at Middle Tennessee State, losing that series, uh, losing a couple games to Seton Hall, um, uh, losing to Cincinnati, Toledo. losing two out of three at Rutgers. Those are so they really should even have a bigger lead in this conference, you know, that they than they do. Um, obviously, coming off a series win at Minnesota, though, on the road, um, how much does that set the Golden Gophers back, guys? I mean, that feels like. I feel like Michigan is the hottest team in the league just from this week, but it feels like every week there's a different hot team in this league. I don't think it sets Minnesota back hardly at all. I mean, obviously you'd rather be in first place, but they're a half game back and their schedule is so much easier than any of the other top teams. Uh, you know, They go to Purdue this weekend, which is last yes. place Purdue. Beatable. Um, sweepable Purdue. Yes. And then they come back home to play Ohio State, which is a decent team, but you get them at home and you, you'll know what you need to do. Um, whereas... You know the the fact that they have Purdue this weekend means that they can be you know right back in it. Like I mentioned, Indiana plays some tough teams with Illinois and then Nebraska, and Michigan has Ohio State and Illinois. They're both on the road. They're both pretty solid teams. Uh, those are both harder series than what Minnesota has. Well, you have two. You have five teams in the top sixty RPI wise, <clears throat> plus Illinois sneak peeking out there, plus Indiana, which leads the conference. Jim, it feels like this league is I – mean, what's the record for Big Ten uh, uh, teams? And it feels like they're going to shatter that It's record. five last year. It's five yeah. last year. So I thought they're going to – it feels like they're going to tie that this year. It feels like that's almost like the new expectation for the Big Ten. I mean, it could. I mean, Michigan and Minnesota are safe bets. Uh, Michigan State – I mean, Michigan, well, we had Michigan State in the top 25. They're still kind of border – 50. They're still their borderline. Uh, so you got them, Nebraska, and Maryland are all bubble teams. So, I mean, that's – Five right there, and then if Indiana were to get in one way or the other, I mean that could be. So yeah, I mean they could get. It's possible they could get six if uh, if everything falls right. Um, do, do we think this was gonna be a better Big Ten season than it was last year? I don't, I don't feel like we thought. No, that. definitely not. Last year seemed like it was 
uh, career year for the Big Ten as it were. They didn't were. have a national seed last year, so yeah. It's kind of a, um, so even bar. even if they were to get five this year, it'd be hard to say it was equal to last year. But you know, I mean, they got two into supers last year. You know, if they could mat- beat that somehow this year, maybe it'd be better. Uh, but it 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 felt like they're going to take a step back just because how high they'd gotten last year. But everyone in that league felt good about the league still, and I don't think it was just cheerleading. You know, I think they all honestly felt good about where the league is, and I it's a good league. This is this is for real. This is right. a this real is conference going forward. They have invested. They have money to continue to invest. They have coaches. They have facilities. The only thing they don't have is 70-degree weather in February, but everything else they have and will continue to have because it is the second or is the richest conference in the country. Yeah. And them and the SEC are starting to separate themselves financially from everyone else if you look at TV deals and everything else. And as long as that money keeps trickling down and there's no reason to think that they would stop investing in baseball having gone this far, the Big Ten is going to continue to be a legitimate contender well into the future. I feel that this should really be the new expectation. Is that this is going to be a four to five bid league every year and that's just uh, a new reality I think of college baseball that uh, I don't know how many fans are going to want to accept that in the Southeastern Conference of the ACC but I don't want the new reality to be uh, the top 10 is all from two leagues but that's really up to the Big 12 and the Pac-12 to yeah. get off their ass and do something right and Texas Tech kudos to Texas Tech for doing its best to do that uh, that's the only league that I, I feel like we didn't talk much about but we're well over an hour, so I feel like I should stop yammering on now. But uh, fun podcast because I, I at least I had fun with it, and uh, I think the the Big Ten needs to go to the uh, one hour and seven, six minute mark and get your uh, get your advocacy <laughs> advocacy for the Big Ten, Teddy, and put on the homepage um, because uh, I think you said it well. I think this is a a new reality for that league, and they've earned it by winning games and by uh, scheduling aggressively and by spending on. College, but all the things that uh, fans elsewhere in the country said, well, if you wanted to be respected, go out and do those things. Well, they've done those things. So um, kudos to the Big Ten teams, and uh, it's fun to watch from afar. We'll be back at it again next Monday. Obviously, you can follow us all week, uh, Twitter, uh, the Instagram. Our college baseball coverage is uh, voluminous as usual, even with the draft uh, you know, encroaching on all of our time uh, when it comes to covering college baseball. So for Teddy, Mike, and Jim, I'm John. Uh, here, listen to some Dave Slade. Remember to go to store.baseballamerica.com to order the magazine and all of our fine uh, publications therein. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.